Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with me, your host, Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation. And if you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this conversation. If you have any questions, suggestions, concerns, questions, kudos, business inquiries, anything of that nature, feel free to email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail. You can follow us on Instagram at whoseworldisthis2021 on Instagram. Thank you guys for the cash apps. I really appreciate that. My cash app is dollar sign, the dollar sign, June Bow. So it's the dollar sign you know, a uh, symbol with J-U-N-B-E-A-U, Junebo. That's also my Venmo. My Venmo is also J-U-N-B-E-A-U. Thank you guys for picking up those books at ChavezHouse.com. That's Chavez with an S-C-H-A-V-E-S House.com. Thank you guys for going on Amazon and picking up the Lenore Batista journals through Chavez House Publishing. That's the easiest way to get to it. If you go to Chavez House Publishing and all the books that are under Lenore Batista, pick one up, whether it's notebooks, journals, the How to Self-Publish Blueprint, all of that good stuff. Pick one of those up. They're good. They're really good, actually. Um, I'm using it. I've said that before. You know, um, I'm using it to write my first book. What are we going to talk about today? <clears throat> I think I'm going to get right to it. Uh, uh, I spent the last episode, I was speaking about uh, maternity leave and worker rights. And that's very interesting because a lot of things that are going on in the world, they intertwine and they interlope whether you know them or not. Um, because three episodes prior to the last, to the previous episode, I spoke about what was going on in Russia and the United States and Ukraine and Europe and that dynamic and how it's perceived depending on where you're standing, depending on your purview, where you're standing, what you've been told, taught, etc., and we had that conversation, and um, and I remember I was uh, talking to my uh, fiance, and we just going back and forth, just just having a normal conversation. And uh, I just I remember saying to her, I said, you know what's funny? I said, here we are demonizing. You know, it's easy to demonize communism. It's easy to demonize this group that has a different political perspective than us. I said, but at one point, the only integrated organization in the United States was the Communist Party. And then she looked at me. And she was like, really? I said, yeah. The unions weren't unions in this country in the 20s and 30s and 40s were not were, were unions were extremely discriminatory. And the funny thing about unions, guess where we got those from? Because the United States had such strict immigration quotas where they didn't want to have people from colored countries was well, South America, the Caribbean, Africa, places like that come to this country. Um, they were looking to bolster up their Europeanness. And the European numbers. So what did they do? They they were um, um, people were allowed to come in from, you know, Germany and Russia and a lot of other places. And guess what? And guess what? Those people were socialists. <laughs> Those people were communists. So in the early 19th century, in the early 1900s, there were a lot of socialists and communists and people of that nature that were all over the south. All over. They didn't mix and mingle, obviously, much with black people in this country, African-Americans, as they are as they are now currently called or labeled. Uh, they didn't mix and mingle because obviously we were in a rigidly hyper segregated society for most of the 20th century. You know, let's not forget that. 
Um, so there was really no mixing and mingle. But when things started to change was when, you know, um, African-Americans were moving to the north and, and et cetera, et cetera. Two, three million people, four million. You know, if Chicago has black people, this place has black people all of a sudden the West Coast. And what, what started occurring was you know, the socialist movements and the communist movements are the ones who gave us unions. There was not any unionized labor. There was no one to speak for the American worker until those communists and those darn socialists came to this country and started forming unions. That was a novel concept to the American worker. Remember, this is the early 1900s now, people. We're only 40 years plus removed from what? Slavery. <laughs> so a country doesn't go from 300 years of getting labor for free to now all of a sudden being benevolent to the working man. No, 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 no. Didn't work like that. So America had a robust communist party, a robust socialist party. Eugene V. Debs, as a matter of fact, ran, I think he ran for the socialist party. There is an argument amongst many historians. There's a popular narrative that says that the New Deal that gave us paid sick days and holidays and now that we have OSHA and things like that and more employee rights, that was given to us by the socialists and the communists that were organized to the point of Franklin Delano Roosevelt had to do something because it was either that or our capitalistic model would have fell. So he had to make those major concessions. So when the industrialists and the Morgan Stanleys and the Rockefellers and the J.P. Morgans and etc. were beating down FDR's door saying, what are you doing? Worker rights, off days, paid sick days, leave. What are you doing? You're going to destroy our economy. He said, no, I'm not. First, it's not going to destroy our economy. And secondly, if I don't do this, you're going to have to deal with the barbarians at the gate. These Europeans were sophisticated at what? Organizing politically. And so at that moment, the socialists and the communists were met with a dilemma. They could no longer sit around and turn a blind eye to what was going on with the blacks in America because they kept trying to put it under the guise of hyper-capitalism. They said, ah, once we get rid of this hyper-capitalistic model, the black worker will be free because they looked at everyone as a worker. They didn't see it as a black worker, white worker. But at the same time, you, ha you are creating unions and now unions in this country that are now being, uh, once the white American worker uh, figured out how to create unions, these unions excluded the black workers. The black workers were excluded from unions. So then what started to occur is the socialists and the communists were realizing how ingrained racism was because it was like, wait a minute, now we're having worker against worker. No, 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 no. It's supposed to be the workers against the ownership. It's the proletariat against the capitalists and the owners. It's not supposed to be worker versus worker. So he, the, the capitalists, and, I'm sorry, the communists and the socialists were looking at the, the white worker and the black worker as equals. Like we're, we're both working class. We are the revolutionary workers of the world. But then it came to pass that they knew that that wasn't the case. So guess what? whole lot of Caribbean people that were coming to this country, Jamaicans, uh, Trinidadians, 
So it's not by accident that you have the Harry Belafontes and the Kwame Therese and people from the Caribbean who lean so far left. Why? Because when they came to this country, they had the same or the similar internationalist consciousness as the communists saying that, listen, we need to we need to somehow find a way to get this system to be more equitable. It's not going to be equitable for us. We know that, but we need to make it more equitable, period. So no matter where we go in the world, we'll be able to band, make money, have resources to band together, et cetera, et cetera, and still be dignified. So the irony is some of the first black communists were the, from the Caribbean. Some of the first black socialists in this country were from the Caribbean and the black American who was part of different militant organizations, started to realize how important it was to see themselves and worker progress and to see not only what's going on with them racially, but how they factor into the global economic system, which is interesting because you have Karl Marx, who decades and decades before was writing letters to Abraham Lincoln and in his own newspaper here, Karl Marx has never been to the United States. He's over there in Germany and he's I'm sorry, he was in London, I think, at the time. And he's writing and saying and sending letters back and forth to Friedrich Engels, his, his uh, partner in crime, uh, his, his colleague, saying that the black worker represents everything that we are speaking about about economic struggle i can go i can go on and on about that i mean these the ex, i'm not going to say it was an exchange but karl marx wrote several letters to abraham lincoln and they were received it's been confirmed that a mr uh, president abraham lincoln actually read those letters and karl marx over there in germany the big bad Marxist that everybody right now, if you're if you use the word Marxist in a sentence right now, it, it might as well be a kiss of death in, 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 in the mainstream. Whoops. But it was Karl Marx that was writing letters to Abraham Lincoln saying you are not operating within a social consciousness. You are not operating under the edicts and the ethoses of freedom, justice and equality for all men. You are not operating under under the auspices of your constitution if you allow this mechanism of slavery to exist. The black man is, is just a black man, but when you put him in the context of your system, he becomes a slave. He's, that person is just a man. It's just a man, but in your system, it's not a man. It is a slave and it's a beast of burden. This is revolutionary talk. And who was giving you this talk? Socialist. Who has the only integrated organization in the United States at that time? The Communist Party. Who was the ones who was really fighting? Yes, you had the NAACP, but truthfully speaking, the NAACP was an arm that wasn't really created by black people. It was, I'm sorry, it wasn't created by, the, there were certain factions amongst the NAACP that um, many, many people out there did not agree with. Many black people did not agree with because of who was funding them. But we could get into that another time. So while you have the Ku Klux Klan and the white Protestants with their sectarian violence against black people in this country or African-Americans in this country, sectarian vice. So you don't use you, you like to when you hear the term sectarian, you usually relegate it to what's going on in the Middle East, probably. Right. Sectarian violence has has erupted in parts of Iraq and parts of Afghanistan and blah, blah, blah. No, there was sectarian violence in the United States, but the Ku Klux Klan considered itself a religious organization. And it, and it thought that it was bestowed by their white Jesus to do the things that it was doing. You know, 
the lynchings, the rapings, the murderings, the killings, the hyper rampant segregation, etc., etc. And if if anyone wants to ask themselves, well, why did communism just phase out? Well, ask ask Senator McCarthy. Senator McCarthy, because of the rise of communism, because it was being it was appealing to the intellectuals in the university. It was appealing to people in Hollywood and it was appealing to the worker on the ground because the promise of justice and equality was not manifesting in real life. Ask the black people in the country, ask the Latinos in this country what was going on in their world in the 20s and 30s and 40s and so on. So this promise, the, the, these, these wars that are being fought for freedoms overseas, but yet you can't integrate a lunch counter in Birmingham, but you're trying to liberate uh, uh, Cambodia or Seoul, Korea. It's like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? So what's interesting to me is the demonization of a political ideology that's given the American worker so much that your American system was not willing to even discuss. The irony is, and this is what I mean by irony, because that maternity leave and all of those things are are, are given to industrialized socialist nations overseas. They all have it. Industrialized social democracies, pseudo-capitalistic socialist democracies, they all have a system in place where there's maternity leaves and things like that. That's why I said all these things intertwine and intersect because here we are in this country and so many of the benefits that we have today as workers are, are given to us by the struggles of communists and socialists in the 20s and 30s and 40s or even earlier than that. And so for today, people say, oh, well, you're acting like a communist. Well, if you have sick days, you, where you're actually home and getting paid. <laughs> uh, yeah, th th think about that. That was unheard of. At one, Henry Ford was the first man, the man who, the, co the founder and inventor of the Ford motor car, the motor car. He was the one who came up with the five-day work week. It was six days on, one day off. And what day was that? The day was Sunday. The day that God rested, or the Abrahamic God rested. The Christ of God rested on the seventh day. And so you rested on the seventh day or you actually went to church because church was an all day affair back in those days. So you went to church the whole day. So that was your off day. You were at church. So when Henry Ford introduced that five day work week, all of his other industrialists, all of the other robber barons, all of the other business owners said that, what are you, a socialist? What are you, a socialist? He was like, no, I'm just trying to add a little dignity to the worker, you know, five days on, two days off. There was a, that was a great compromise because there were a lot of people that were pulling for a three-day work week, the socialists and the communists, and said, yeah, we can, that we're pulling for a, a, a five, six-hour work day. The eight-hour work day was even a compromise from what was before, which was like 12 to 16 hours on. 12 plus hours. You worked from 6 a.m. or from sun up, sun down. Sun's up, you're working. Sun's down, okay, you can get off. And that's how it used to work. Until, you know, eight hour work. All of this is given to you by those big, bad, mean, uh, horned socialists and communists. They're the ones who introduced that conversation into the American zeitgeist. So when I hear the big bad, I'm like, do you know the origins? 
of of the things. Am I a communist? No. If anyone wants to ask, hey, June sounds pretty pro-communist. No, I'm not a communist. I know I um I respect and I recognize contributions. That's what I'm doing. And trying to and attempting to put things in a, in a context that so we can have an actual actual conversations because you know um when you're looking at the the conversation that's going on right now over what's going on in Russia and this that and the third and it's a communist nation so what so what if it's a communist nation and what's your point and what is your point right now we have men and women that are in solitary confinement for nonviolent crimes because they they dare to speak out about this government right now go check out the angola six over there in angola prison in louisiana go do your research on how many men and women are in solitary confinement for their quote-unquote political beliefs not due to anything heinous or violent but because they dared speak out about the power structure here not in the people's republic of china not in the not at that united soviet socialist republic not 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 in uh, any place else here speaking about the wrongs that were going on here that are locked up behind a wall 23 hour lockdown for daring to speak for daring to say no i'm not going to use this bible i'm going to speak about other things if you stepped away from the dogmas that were sanctioned for you then all of a sudden now you are an enemy of the state so when I hear people speak about, oh, well, you know, there's human rights violations over there, I go, listen, are you ready to take a good look in the mirror and see what's going on here before you call yourself, like I said, we? Look at all the ingredients that went into your apple pie and then, and then see if you're actually willing to eat it. Like I said before, if you knew every single last ingredient that went into the food that you're eating at your fast food at your favorite drive through window. If you knew every single ingredient and how it acts in your body, not only the ingredients, but how it's prepared, what's going on. If you had a camera and a bird's eye view and you were able to see everything, you'd get all the information for 60 minutes. There would be a window where you would be told every single thing that was on the menu, what the ingredients are, and what they do to the body and what these ingredients are used for if they're not used for food. What other, what other uses and what other uh, 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 ways are these uh, ingredients used? Oh, this is used for lighter fluid. Oh, and it's in my nuggets. Oh, wow, this is used for... Would you still eat it? And I would guarantee you that those big-time box drive through windows, there would be a significant decrease in profits. They would probably have to close maybe half of their locations. People would still eat there. But I ask you, if you knew every single ingredient that went into your apple pie, would you still eat it the same? Or would you look at it differently? So there's a lot of things that went into this. So when I hear people using terms loosely, especially, you know, I, you know forgive me, but when I hear African-Americans in this country as they are labeled African-Americans, I'm going to call them by what they decide to call themselves. I don't call myself that, by the way. So that's not my title for me. That's their title for them. Um, when they speak about, oh, yeah, you know, those communists, man, you got to watch that communism. And I go, what? Dude, <laughs> do you want me to let you know that the Communist Party helped fund the civil rights movement? Hmm? That they were the early subsidizers of said movement? Hmm? J. Edgar Hoover was shaking in his boots. 
and, and, and the NAACP and et cetera, et cetera, had to prove to J. Edgar Hoover that, oh, no, we're not, we're, we're not down with those communists because they still wanted to get that funding from a lot of the polite white liberals that fled away from socialism and communism and all of that because of, you know, Senator McCarthy and his hearings where he literally demonized communism to the point where he had to have McCarthy hearings that if you were have and what was the question he used to ask? Have you now or ever been a member of the Communist Party? That was his line. That's how he would start off his hearings and he would drag authors, actors, uh, uh, school teachers, homemakers, accountants, anyone up there. And if you were a teacher, you would lose your tenure and you would not work again. If you were an actor, you'd never work again. A director, you'd never work again. And uh, anything that you were doing, as soon as he labeled you a communist. Meanwhile, it was the communists that were part of the big three that helped the United States in the World War in, in uh, World War Two. It was the big, the the the, the great three, the three alliance. The alliance was the UK. United States, Soviet Union. But as soon as things switch, it's like, oh, wait, Soviets, oh, communism, this, that, and that. Oh, no, 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 no. Allies turn enemies, turn frenemies, turn allegiances, things switch. One minute you have commercials, you know, praising the Kaiser and Russia, I'm sorry, praising Russia, yeah, those Cossacks, and then, you know, a decade or two later, then it's, it's all evil. Same, same regime. It's the same regime. We just have to have a different tint. So we change the conversation. And instead, we were going to have a conversation about propaganda, about public relations, how the how how we've been socialized to acquiesce and to tilt towards war, towards peace, towards this, that and the third, how our public relations system, our advertising companies, our media, there's a multi-tiered system in place every single day that has you believing what you believe. If you do not think that you are influenced by that, remember that it's through repetition. It's through what you've been told and what you practice. You are what you listen to. You are what you entertain. That's what you are. So those things that you were told for the first 12 years of your formal education that's pretty much who you are. So if your media told you this, if your news outlets, all of these people who prop themselves up as authorities in your life when they've told you something. And there's a reason why I brought that up. That's why I brought that up. I said, I'm saying this specifically because there were a lot of uh, African-Americans that I've spoken to over the last four or five, six days about what's going on in, in Russia and et cetera, et cetera. And I said to them, I said, you know, I said, you guys keep talking about World War Three because you're not paying attention to Libya. You're not paying attention to the Sudan. You're not paying attention to Central Central Africa. You're not paying attention to Central America. You're not playing, paying attention to Venezuela. You're not paying attention to the Middle East and Syria, right? And so you think that this is the big deal because your media outlets and the same system that 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 created the paradigm that you're in is telling you that it's a big deal. And like Pavlov's dog, you're barking. You, you are reacting to this stimuli. Meanwhile, things are on fire everywhere. Meanwhile, if you're a Haitian and you're trying to get on a boat or I'm sorry, not a boat, if you're in a bathtub or a raft out of Port-au-Prince right now, uh, uh, the coast, northern Haitian border, o o over there in North Haiti, and you get in some raft and you're trying to, you're hoping to God that you get to the coast of Miami. You're hoping to God to get to Homestead, 
right in Miami and you and you're and you're on the boat and the Coast Guard intercepts you. You know what happens then when the Coast Guard intercepts you? They're not obligated to bring you ashore. They're not obligated to say, hey, listen, you're out here. You're going to die out here because the majority of people who take that that arduous, perilous journey, they die. They die. They don't make it. We don't hear those stories. Happens every single day. If it doesn't happen every day, it happens once a week. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to be sure, actually, to go get the Coast Guard numbers on what's going on. Because when I was living in Florida, I, I had more information on that. And it was, it was several acts a week. It wasn't every day, but it was several times a week. Of, of, of boats coming in. And when I say boats, I don't mean a real rowboat. I'm talking about makeshift rafts. I'm talking about bathtubs. These people don't have anything. They are desperate as desperate can be. They love their country. They don't want to leave their country, but it's either leave or starve. That, those are the options. And you know what happens when the Coast Guard gets them? intercepts them they're not obligated to bring them ashore you know what they do they push them right back they go no 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 make a u-turn even though the chances of them surviving the the return trip no matter how far they are the chances of them surviving are relatively slim they could die on the way back coast guard knows that the united states government knows that neighboring nations know that everyone knows that there's no uproar no uproar okay what they do, oh, sorry, Jean-Baptiste, sorry, Solange, sorry, bye-bye. Push them right back. If you intercept them before they get on the coast, you get to push them back. You get to say, nope. And those people, they drowned. Those people, they die. That's what ends up happening. Same thing with people in North Africa. A lot of the Central Africans that are trying to get to France, trying to get to the, the southernmost points of Europe out there over there in East Africa and parts of North Africa, and they get on those boats. You have the international coast guards over there, and their maritime laws are if you intercept them before they touch land, push them right back out there, even though the chances of them making it was almost slim to none. The chances of them making it back to their homeland is, is relatively zero. It, because whatever makeshift transport that they created and constructed is beaten to all hell. And they've probably lost people on the route through sickness, starvation, uh, uh, just drowning, people just mental breakdowns, whole host of issues. It is hell. It is the most harrowing trip ever. And right now, in the world, there are very few trips that are more arduous and more perilous than leaving your home in East Africa in the middle of the night, under the cover of night, black water from hot tropical... Oh, and by the way, there are animals in this water. Remember, this is the ocean. There's sharks. There's things that want to eat you at the, in the cover of night, under the cover of night, you're leaving East Africa, sneaking onto a, some makeshift bathtub, raft, blow-up doll, whatever, and you're going off into the Black Sea for days, weeks. How much food do you think you can take on there for several people for this thing that they created not to sink? I'm trying to highlight things that we're not highlighting. Remember we spoke about media and its director's lens, 
where it directs the cameras, what it wants you to pay attention to. Okay. I'm just pointing the lens in another direction, showing you the things or at least attempting to highlight the things that we're not speaking about. Because when I have friends of mine, when I see that Europe has flung open its doors to Ukrainian refugees. Meanwhile, I remember reading over the winter that there were hundreds of people stranded at the I think it was the Polish border. And those people were from Afghanistan and Syria and Yemen and Iraq. And they were all stranded at the border between Belarus and Poland. And the media, our media was saying, oh, Belarus is using these refugees as a political uh, 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 ping pong game. He's using them as political pawns. Uh, no, he's not. He said, no, go, go over there to the go over there to the NATO, go over there to the to Europe. That's where you want to go. Right. Go right ahead. There. Go. Go left. There they are. There it is. And guess what? Europe said we don't want them. People starved. I heard eight people died. Hundreds were moved to some warehouse over there on the Belarus Polish border. Nobody was really caring. Nobody cared. People were calling them pawns, but no one said, hey, listen, we got to do something about these people because they're actually fleeing harrowing conditions in their country. You can say whatever you want to say about the Belarusian president or whatever's going on, but those people are fleeing serious conditions. Look at the countries they were coming from, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. Hello? A lot of things going on, and these people come from relatively warmer climates. Some of them from desert, hot, hot like climates. And now here they are in Belarus and Poland in the winter. They were freezing to death in that forest. No one said anything. They froze to death. Meanwhile, Europe has flung open its doors. Canada flung open its doors. My friends of mine from the Netherlands saying, hey, have you spoken to such and such? Because we need to open up our doors because I'm like, oh, really? Must be nice. But guess what else is happening? Guess what I've been reading about? All of the African students that were studying in the Ukraine, because there are a ton of Afri Africans study all over Europe. So at, from, the, from the continent of Africa, they're all over Europe. When I was in Rome, there were tons of African students. I went to Germany. There were tons of African students, PhD students, everything. Russia has exchange programs with a whole host of um, countries in Africa. Actually, one of their universities used to be named the Patrice Lumumba University. That's another story. Look up Patrice Lumumba. Look it up. And look how he was assassinated. Look, yeah, before we start talking about ex-KGB people, think, look at what Patrice Lumumba was looking to do in Africa and look up uh, who killed him. Okay? Anyway, um, so they even have Patrice Lumumba University. A lot of African students would go to Africa, to, to Russia and learn, you know, at a, at a mere stipend or sometimes for free, you know. And um, so there were African students that were in studying in the Ukraine. And now there are reports. There's, I'm going to read it to you. Meanwhile, growing reports suggest people of color fleeing Ukraine are also fa facing discrimination at the border. The crisis has once again clarified the double standard in the way nations treat refugees based on country of origin, race, religion, and more. Academics, so refugees say that's what's going on right now at the borders right now. Right now. 
Nigeria is saying, unfortunately, they're getting so many reports from African students in the Ukraine being turned away from the buses. Turned away like, no, 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 no. Just Ukrainians. Sorry, you go freeze and go die. Sorry. Unfortunately, sorry. That's what's going on at the border right now. All of these hypocrisies, you have to take the all. These are the ingredients. You want to know what you're eating? This is part of what you're eating. There have been people that have been at the Belarus and Poland border. There have been people that are trying to get into Europe saying, listen, we are getting murdered in our hometowns. And a lot of it is because you, you guys and your, your consumer consumption, it's due to resources that are in our country that you guys are divvying up amongst yourselves and do not want to deal with our countrymen equitably. So therefore, it causes financial conflicts, conflicts on the ground. And now we, the people, poor people, peasants, workers, we get the brunt of it. And now we have to leave our homelands and ironically come to your homeland because Europe is built on the backs of African resources. Period. New Europe could not survive without Africa. That's a fact. That's a fact, a whole fact. There are whole countries that are able, for them to be able to subsidize their health cares, and have their big, large welfare states where the maternity leaves are a year long and 18 months. Hey, take, take a whole two years off. That's paid for, bought and paid for by the resources that were jacked, hacked, attacked, and stolen out of Africa. It's, it, you don't, it's not hyperbole. Look it up. It's not hyperbole. Look at the resources that it takes to run countries. And, and these European countries don't have those resources. <clears throat> they have to get those resources from somewhere. But they refuse to deal with these countries equitably. It's like, give it to me. It's like a three-year-old. A three-year-old sees or a two-year-old sees another child with a toy. And they just know that they want that toy. They see that green ball. And they go ball. And they go mine. They didn't learn share. They didn't learn, hey, let's play a game. Let's do that. They haven't learned that yet. Then a parent has to come and say, listen, you must learn how to share. Okay. But nation states, depending on who they're dealing with, act like two-year-olds. Mine. Doesn't matter if that kid's crying, hysterical, red face, tears, boogers everywhere. Mine. When the U.S. goes into Africa, mine. South America, mine. Caribbean, mine. Europe goes into Africa, mine. You guys don't see that. All of a sudden, Putin's the big bad wolf. And when he sees that people, these same Western NATO forces are on his borders going, mine. <laughs> He's like, wait, I already know. The, I already know this play. This is like Green Bay Packers, <laughs> Vince Lombardi, halfback sweep right. I know this play. I know what you guys are doing. I've seen it. We've done it as the Soviet Union. This is how the game is played. I get it. And this is why I want, to, I want to bring up a lot of these things. I'm going to be bringing up what I call counter reports. And the report I'm getting now is not from, is not from um, some, some, some dot com and some kid in his basement. No, this is, uh, what is this, AP Reuters? One of the Reuters, and I'm reading one of the Nigerian news. President of Nigeria. There have been, oh, I'm sorry. The president of Nigeria said in a statement, there have been unfortunate reports of Ukrainian police and security personnel refusing to allow Nigerians to board buses and trains heading toward the Ukrainian-Poland border. Signed, the office of the president of Nigeria. 
Okay. Okay? Yeah. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. I just, I, 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 all these little things are important. That's all I'm saying. You know, I, I felt that I had to do this little quip uh, particularly for that because um, these things that are going on right now are, have been going on, but many of us do not know the origins of, of these things that are going on right now. We don't have a clue. I was looking up some numbers, actually, because um, there are certain numbers that are very important to me as far as uh, displaced people are concerned. Um, I'm reading a report about the hypocritical international community. I like where this report is going. Arab and Middle Eastern and how they've been left behind. I remember those Syrian refugees a couple of years ago, boy, couldn't find a home for those people. Remember that? Other Middle Eastern countries were like, nope. <laughs> Europe was like, nope. Sorry. Sorry, Muhammad. I, sorry, Khadija. Sorry, Fatima. Sorry, Youssef. My bad. My, can't come in. Over there in Central, <laughs> Central and um, East Africa. Oh, Mufasa. Sorry. Pushed their boat right back into those dark waters. Sorry, Simba. Back to the ocean you go. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing at the hypocrisy. I'm laughing because this this report I'm looking at right now, as a matter of fact, I usually don't do this looking at reports while I'm speaking to you guys, but I just happen to be thinking about doing this. I wanted to do this already, um, this sort of a little brief synopsis about at one point in the United States that the only group that was actually truly integrated was parts of the socialist and the communist parties where you had Jamaicans and Caribbean people coming to this country and joining those parties in the South, looking at it from the worker movement's perspective. You had Karl Marx sending letters to Abraham Lincoln. Karl Marx sending letters to Abraham Lincoln saying that the black man is just a black man until you put him in America and then he becomes something else. It, it, under the guise of your system, you've turned him into a unit of labor a labor not to be paid for, a beast of burden. I mean, it, it was poetry in what he said. You, you turn him into a unit of labor, not quite human, a beast of burden of sorts. And it's not living up to the edict of what your country espouses itself to be. Woo. And it, I mean, I need to find those. I, I remember reading those um, years ago. This is what, 2022 was like two decades, maybe a decade ago, 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? How come I don't know this? Uh, how come you don't know a lot of things? But as far as that's concerned, I just want to know what you guys think about that. Does that does that help you at all to maybe change, uh, I don't know, change your mind or, or, or something like that? You know, does that does that make you take a step back and maybe pause for a moment before you all of a sudden go, all right, man, those those sneaky big bad Ruskies or or these heroic Americans or those bad Americans or those 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 Europeans. Does it change the dynamic when you realize that so many of the things that you have in this country now have communistic and socialistic ingredients in your apple pie? Hmm. We don't get those little two weeks off without them. The little measly two weeks off that many of your jobs given you can't even take those two weeks consecutively. Many, many people don't even take those two weeks off consecutively. They take one week off 
you know, and you have to make sure that you don't take off all the days. You try to get the weekend involved in that because the weekends you're already off because you can't stay away from the job for two weeks because your boss is looking at you and guilting you to work your behind off. Right. We've all felt it. We've all felt it. Don't feel bad. I felt it, too. I remember those days where the job used to make me feel as if I, I, you know, I'm feeling guilty for taking a vacation. Like, wait, what? A vacation I earned. I earned each and every one of those PTOs. Each one of those paid time off hours. I earned it. Meanwhile, it's June, really? Oh, yeah, we're kind of short. Yeah, you're always kind of short. Oh, yeah, we have that big project due. There's always a big project due. It's never slow. You let me know when the slow period is, and I'll take that time off then. How about that? How about we all just shut down? If it's going to be slow, close the office. Huh? If you can tell me, oh, you know, yeah. And, and granted, I'm, I'm giving you guys a bird's eye of, of what I said. This is earshot of something I said to a boss one time who was giving me a little bit of, you know, resistance when I was putting in for my vacation days. And, and it wasn't because other people took theirs. It's not as if, oh, such and such already put in for those days. And I'd be like, oh, all right, man, that, that's my fault. You know, I, I, I'll, you know, no, no one, no one put in. This is my days. I want these days. This is something I want to do. And it was like, ah, oh, June, we're a little short. I was a little short. We're, we always seem to be a little short. Well, well, that doesn't stop us. Didn't stop us before. Didn't stop us when such and such took a vacation and I had to work a little extra. Yeah, you know, we have the big price. And we always have a big project. I said, and I said, listen. Tell me, tell me the time where we're going to be slow, and I'll, I'll take my vacation days then. But if you can't tell me, if you can't give me a definitive these, these two weeks, take it then, then I'm taking them now. If you can't give me a specific dates, I said, I'm taking this. I'm taking 10 days. I had 10 days vacation plus the weekends. I was taking 14 straight days off from work. That was it. And I was going on vacation for 10 of those 14. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm out of here. I said, and I won't be around either. I'm taking 10 days. I'm not even going to be in the country. So just so you know. And they were like, oh, and I'm looking at them like, yo, just approve it. Just stop. Stop playing. So those two weeks that I was negotiating, thank, thank, thank the commies <laughs> for that. Hmm? Unfortunately, you don't have the four weeks to go on what the Europeans call holiday, you don't have that. You have to wait for Thanksgiving and get that day before or day after. You have to wait for Christmas where you get a day before or the day after. You, you don't get the holiday where everyone's going to whatever little beaches and places. And, and go. they used to go hang out. A lot of Europeans used to go to Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt and go to those little timeshare resorts over there in Egypt. And you, you don't get that. You don't get to do that. You don't get to take a boat ride or just say we're taking a month, two months off. You know, you don't get to do that, unfortunately. But, you know, because you didn't take it, you didn't go as, you didn't go far enough. The little compromises you got after slavery was abolished, you just sat with that. 40, 50, 60 years after slavery was abolished, you just took the little two weeks, no maternity leave, et cetera, et cetera. But be very, very careful who you demonize. Be very, very careful who you place as the hero or the villain in your movie. Because like I said in the last, in the last uh, previous uh, show, we're speaking about maternity leave. Who's to blame for that? We're speaking about daycare not being subsidized and this not being this, that, and the third. You can't get maternity leave, but yet you want family, work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things, and yet you're still working eight hours. You're still working one-third of your day, more than one-third of your day, if you consider commutes, at least, you know, uh, is dedicated to 
a job and not your family. And then you're spending five consecutive days working and then you're only getting two days off. And you're not having that conversation. But if you had a more, maybe, here I go. Maybe if you had a more robust socialistic system in place, maybe, just maybe, you had a more robust unionized system in place, this would be part of the conversation. Like I said, be careful who you call your enemy and who you call your friend. Be careful who you call we. We may be just them, may not be us. Just saying. Be careful how you use these words. They're not interchangeable. You guys enjoy yourself. Be safe out there.